Welcome to College and Career Reimagined, a podcast created by the Center for Equity and Post-Secondary Attainment. This podcast is designed to provide listeners with cutting-edge research and best practices, including tips and tools needed to implement equity-based career development and post-secondary readiness for students in the K-16 educational system. Your hosts are Dr. Laura Oren, founder and co-director of the Center, along with her co-director, Dr. Diana Camillo. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode. I am Diana. And I'm Laura. We're excited today to be joined by Trisha Hodge, who is the Center for Equity and Post-Secondary Attainment's Director of Research and Evaluation. So welcome, Trisha. We'd love to have you um, share with our audience a little bit about what you do with the center. Hi. Um, first, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I am the Director of Research and Evaluation for San Diego State Center for Equity and Post-Secondary Attainment. Um, my role with the center is to implement research and evaluation practices um, in which we can utilize data to inform college and career post-secondary advising. Thanks, Trisha, for sharing that. You know, and if you can kind of maybe we can talk a little bit about sort of the role of data in post-secondary and thinking, I'm, I'm just wondering, um, you know, why is data such an integral part to understanding post-secondary access and success? Uh, sure. I actually have uh, two thoughts to that question. Um, the first one being that um, having a role on, a, on the center, a position in the center that looks at data and utilizes data is really critical to informing our practice. And, and what I mean by that is I've seen situations in the absence of data where folks make decisions based on assumptions that ultimately cause harm. Um, we've come such a long way. There's so many evidence-based practices out there. Um, so data is really a tool to inform our decision-making for students and the community served. Um, what I think is really relevant to today is how we're using data in a really responsive manner. Uh, in the center, we're so much driven by making sure that what we're doing for students and families is happening in real time. And the fact that we are in this tail end of a post-pandemic, whatever you want to call it. I've, I've, I don't even know what to call it. Um, <clears throat> that we need to really address where our students are headed once they graduate high school and using data to help folks that are guiding students to make those decisions is super important. I want to go back to something you said, right? In, in sort of in the absence of data, we could cause harm or we've seen that in practice and sort of in, in your world, right. When you've worked with data, what are ways that you've seen sort of the, the harm being caused in the absence of data? When I was getting my education, um, one of my professors uh, noted to me that because we're in a helping profession, we so often do what feels good, sort of like the warm and fuzzies of the work. We would call it warm and fuzzies. You know, it, it, it felt good because we could see smiles on faces. We could see laughter. We, we could see the visual impact of that happening. But what we noticed is that whatever we were implementing 
that change, that behavior change, and in this case would be positive post-secondary decision-making, wasn't happening. So without data to inform the impact of the practices we're implementing, and by the way, some of those are not in the moment, they're quite long-term, we actually have to rely on the fact that we know that data is going to lead us to those outcomes based on research methods, validated tools, uh, and things like that. And so, Tricia, as you're talking about that, I have been thinking about like all of the work that you do with the center, all of the data that you collect and that you're using to like inform our practice. Wondering if you would share with our audience maybe some examples of data that you've looked at, maybe an example of how that really informed and shifted practice within um, some of the programming um, that you're doing. Sure, I'd be happy to share. Uh, I, I work on a lot of data projects within the center. Um, some of them are some of them are small scale by collecting you know program engagement of a field trip or a classroom presentation to uh, really going big systems wide, looking at a K-16 pipeline connection. And on a day-to-day basis, my workload varies by what data is needed to make um, that decision in in our most effective programming possible. Um, a lot of a lot of what we're looking at right now is the current senior class decision-making for life after high school and um, launching our upcoming class of 2023 post-pandemic planning survey um, where we can find out what percentage of students are going off to college, are going into the workforce, are going college and workforce, and then what are those predictors or influencing variables that are leading to those decisions, knowing that there are those outside influences like cost of tuition is a big one, moving away from home, the economy, um, social and racial injustices for students that have been historically marginalized, other other influencing factors. Well, I know from some of uh, the work that I wonder if you'd share a little bit about a longitudinal study that actually really influenced. Oh yeah. You want to talk data. Uh, we've got a <laughs> data set of, yeah. um, we have a data set from the national student clearinghouse of students, persistence and college completion rates beginning from the class of 2014. So we've got a data set of thousands and thousands of student records. Uh, and we led a retrospective analysis to determine and looked at their four-year, five-year, and six-year college completion rates. And sadly, we were not happy with what we found and that we were setting up students in an amazing college access programming opportunity to enroll in college and step on a campus that first year as a freshman. But ultimately, they were stopping out or that they were um, not demonstrating what we would have considered traditional college going, you know, trends, you know, going, going to a four year and then switching to a two year, then taking a gap year, and then going back to a two year. Um, And that data set had so many different 
point of view, depending on which stakeholder that we shared our data with. Um, our San Diego State partners were looking at the success rates of those who transferred in from a two-year versus those that started from a four-year. Our two-year uh, community college partners were surprised the fact that this as assumed pipeline for students that would go to a two-year would just walk on to a four-year and poof, have their degree in a few years, but that there was a waiting list from the two-year to the four-year in which students had a gap of time and then ultimately led to them stopping out right then and not getting that college diploma. We still go back to that same data set. As a matter of fact, I just sent another query set. Still doing class of 2014, um, a great tool and providing a greater picture of what we're seeing. Um, so while like the class of 2014 may have gone past that six year timeline, I'm still, all of us are still wanting to know where those students are. Uh, it's unfortunate that they, you know, fall out of view and we never hear from them again. So I'm looking at seven year rates, eight year rates. Um, and that data, that data we use to back uh, feedback to our directors, our staff who are really specialized in these content areas like college enrollment, college persistence and completion, and talk about how do we embed what we're seeing in the data into the practices that you're doing today. And actually right now we're um, on the cusp of looking at our programming for the next academic year and how does that data inform where we're going to move forward um, the programming and also um, seeking additional funding sources to support that work. The word intentional. I think most of my my work, and even when I'm working with my graduate students, I always remind them that we have to be intentional about the decisions that we make or interventions that we implement. And I think you're kind of getting at that, right? The intentionality and how we use it to make decisions, because those decisions can be long term and and, and life changing. Um, I'm just curious, right? For those that are, are looking or want to be much more intentional about um, understanding and using data. What kind of advice or perhaps what are some best practices that you would suggest? Uh, changing your mindset with data, looking at an assets-based approach. Um, sometimes we use data to find out what's missing, gaps, lack of, limitations, all those um, kind of deficit-based mindsets, but looking at where are we seeing um, positive growth and how can we best leverage that? How can that apply to other communities, for example? Um, and really, like you said, being intentional with that information um, and then feeding that back to those that are doing the work. If they don't know where their populations stand on certain measures, um, to elevate and enhance and promote. I always say to folks, you know, data is not a measure of how you're doing a jo your job. It's really an organic process. If you set forth to do these things that are aimed to create these positive post-secondary outcomes, the data follows organically. I've seen it happen. It's almost like I can put my feet up on the table and take a chill because they're, it's, it, the data is coming in that organic process using that assets-based mindset of supporting students 
um, to, to achieve in a successful way that's um, elevating. Yeah, and as you are talking about sort of this um, re-examining data, right? Like, like going back and looking at a cohort from 2014 and really trying to understand where are they now and not just saying, hey, you know, campuses use a marker of a six-year um, completion rate. We want to look, you know, it's now eight, nine years out. We want, we still want to understand where, where they're at. I'm wondering, as you're doing this work, could you share with our audience some about how kind of this re-examining of the data is allowing you to think about ways that we should shift the advising of our students and families? Sure. Uh, this kind of goes back to what I mentioned before about real-time responsiveness, where students are in terms of a post-pandemic educational life. Uh, and that is um, meeting students where they're at in terms of that multiple pathways perspective. I do have to say that we are sort of in a gray area with data and that responsiveness intention because we have some historical measures like degree attainment, for example, that if we don't have 100% of our students enrolling in a four-year right after high school, then we have we have failed them. Um, but really re-examining our own metrics in supporting students who want that multiple option I, that might not be choosing to go to a four-year. What does a metric look like for a student who opts to get a two-year certificate at a community college and gets a high-wage job at 22 years old? That's a success measure. Um, so in we're kind of we're reimagining our practices with the data we have now, but we're also reimagining our evaluation and research metrics uh, to align with that. It can't it can't be one or the other. This again goes to that organic process. We have to be aligned in that. So at the center, we're constantly reading um, relevant research, learning from others. As you started, you led with thinking about evidence-based practice, right? And I think there's a lot of discussion right now about what really is evidence-based practice. And I hear that in the way you're talking about this in the way of reframing the kinds of data that we look at or how we um, inform our practice. And, you know, you were even sharing a little bit just now about like community and going back to community from a data perspective, what are your thoughts? Like, how should we be um, engaging with community even around measurement and um, collection of data. And the role of, a, of an evaluator has also been changing over the course of a few decades and that it's to be engaging work with the community that you're, that you're seeking to serve through measurement and design and asking their feedback and um, asking them questions of, of survey instrumentation and process in which you're collecting that data and then the results if those results meet their expected outcomes of what their lived experience is, is completely important right now. I think we have work to do at the center in building that component of researched engaged practices, but it's definitely um, a huge piece of how we see data being used to, to drive that decision-making um, as we move along. You know, being asset-based as well as student-centered and community-centered, right? And thinking about what framework guides 
how we move forward with collecting and utilizing data. We, we work within a diverse group of professionals. When we talk about data, we have so many folks at the table that are coming with a unique perspective, right? We've got, um, let's just say within a school, you've got admin and leaders and counselors and teachers and support staff. And each one of those folks who has a daily interaction with students also has um, a defined perspective on data that maybe directly or indirectly relates to the work they're doing on a day-to-day basis. So sometimes I think that framework is a little daunting in the way that you can make the data useful and practical for that person's role in this like eco educational ecosystem. I think that grant-funded initiatives are a huge leverage and motivating point for that data utilization piece. And this limits the assets-based mindset because typically you get a grant based upon a needs assessment, right? What are we missing here? And then we propose this program and we implement the program and then we're supposed to not have this gap anymore, for example. But I do have to say that in the educational field, folks are a little disillusioned with grant-funded initiatives because they come and go on a cycle. And uh, if you've been in the profession for so long, you get a little jaded around, oh, great, another grant that's come in practice. Um, So I think really the benefit would be looking at what long-term sustainability pieces can you propose um, using data that would help folks take what they're learning and seeing with results and then put them into action, knowing that that action is going to be sustained over time. Now, if I can think of an example of that, again, I think it's really difficult because a lot of those grants are on a three-year, five-year, six-year cycle. So unless you have a grant that's going year after year after year, um, might be hard to put some data into action. Although I do have to say in my experience that leadership is absolutely critical to help making that happen. If you don't have a data-driven leader supporting staff to use data um, in ways that it's embedded in, say, a regular staff meeting. Today, we're going to look at our caseload, everybody, and how many students are completing their post-secondary plan. Great, you're at 95%. What's going on with the 5%? How can we engage those students? Do we need to relook at our our implementation practices? Do we need to maybe revise our marketing strategy? Do we need to open up programming in a before school, after school Saturday? Um, Things like that would be taking data um, and putting it into action. And then look, now we're, you know, meeting 99 to 100% of all of our students. And we see this a lot, actually, with engaging our parent population. Too often we say, oh, parents aren't, you know, coming to our events, so they're not engaging. But when we look at the data um, in a survey, they're reporting that they're understanding college applications and FAFSA requirements for their students. So, taking some of that data and building those that are reporting high levels of efficacy in those areas and leveraging those parents to then promote to other parents is one example of using data um, into action. I mean, my mind is going in so many different ways. I just, you've shared so many nuggets that 
I definitely we we want to revisit this conversation um, in other ways as well because you definitely have shared a lot for us to think about. Um, and then I really like your messaging around you know being intentional and doing no harm, but also you know being student and family centered, hearing the voices of those that we want to support, and also really looking at the long term. Um, as a as a counselor, I saw. To what you just explained, oftentimes we have some folks that are invested and they're around for three years. And if you've been in the building for 10 plus years, you've maybe have seen a cycle, right, of folks coming in and out of the district. And so sometimes you just want to hold on to what, you know, you can do when you can control um, but I really like all the nuggets that you shared. And I my mind is thinking about a lot of different things, but we, we definitely want to have you back to talk about all the different ways that we want to consider post-secondary data um, and even talk a little bit more about the COVID study that the center has been um, conducting in the last couple of years. And I think that there's a lot of information on there that we can share. And I think in closing, um, you know, we'll ask you what we've been asking all of our guests. You know, what's one tip or piece of advice you would like to share with today's adults who are preparing students for life after high school? Well, obviously, I'm going to give a data perspective to this uh, question. What I would advise folks is that data is not um, an end result. When you come across a data point, that's not a finality of what's happening. We're, we're humans here. We're studying humans, and, and humans can be messy. Um, so data is really about seeking to understand. It's a piece of the pie that allows a fuller picture that's, that's happening for students. Um, so I would advise folks to not be dissuaded by data, uh, fearful of it, or avoid it because it's complex at times, but to embrace and know that um, that it's an it's an evolution. It's an iterative process, actually. That you take what you learn, you feed it back, you learn more, you revise, you implement, you learn again. Um, it's a it continually um, evolving. And so, like when we write reports, for example, you know that's that is cemented in time with a date on it. But we always come back to it in the next year look at it again and demonstrate what's happening at that point of time. Um, and the other piece of advice I would give um, in that same context is don't compare apples to oranges. That can cause harm um, to students, cause harm in the decision making. Um, be thorough about your process in utilizing data. You can take a singular data point and generalize it to a whole population and then compare it to a completely different population. That's just generally bad practice. Um, so come in being open-hearted, being open-minded, being willing to learn, being willing to um, understand. Um, that's going to lead to uh, positive outcomes. I, I've seen it. I know I mentioned that before. I've seen it happen. This has been College and Career Reimagined with Dr. Owen and Dr. Camillo from the Center for Equity and Post-Secondary Attainment. We hope you enjoyed the show and we look forward to having you join us on the next episode. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, subscribe, or leave us a review. It means a lot. We're on Facebook and Instagram at SDSU SEPA. You can also contact us at SEPA at SDSU.edu 
That's C-E-P-A at S-U-S-U dot E-D-U. Till next time.